This is a podcast by The Straits Times. A new breed of lion, a new world champion, a new path to glory for Singapore cycling. Welcome to A Game of Two Halves, the weekly sports podcast from The Straits Times that is broadcast every Tuesday. I'm sports editor Liu Lin and with me are my colleagues, sports correspondent Sazali Abdul-Aziz and Nicole Chia. Hi. Hi, Yulin. Sazali, two weekends ago, you examined what it would take at the macro or systemic level for Goal 2034 to happen. Now, this is the FAS ambitious project to have the Lions make the 2034 World Cup. But this weekend, you took the conversation further by looking at what needs to happen at the micro level, looking at players and the local mindset in order for this project to succeed. Now, what did you find out? If Singapore football is to achieve this very ambitious goal of qualifying for the 2034 World Cup, the people that I've spoken to all agree the number one resource, the most valuable resource we should focus our attention on is the players. Because basically, the players are the ones who will get a football team to where it wants to go in a competition. So in Singapore, there have been a number of long-standing issues which have sort of been raised time and again, but never really been dealt with. So these sort of issues, for example, the lack of participation among Chinese players at the elite level or professional level, national service, you know, which takes two years out of footballers' life and, you know, usually the most important years in terms of development, which is usually 16, 17, 18, maybe up to 20 years old. And even things like self-discipline, you know, and, you know, how our professional footballers carry themselves, they watch their diet, so on and so forth. Yeah, so... I spoke to a lot of coaches, administrators, some former, some current players. And basically everyone agreed a seismic shift in mindset is needed to address all these issues and all of them have to be addressed if we want to reach that goal 2034 target. Are you confident that these can be addressed? I think it can be addressed. How confident I am, I think depends on the plans that FAS put forward in the coming months because the blueprint is not out yet, but it has to encompass, when it does come out, it has to encompass all these issues. It has to address all these issues. You know, for example, National Service, MINDEF as an agency would have to sort of at least come to the table and have a conversation with FAS on this. If all of these issues are sort of addressed and, and there is a, a real concerted effort by everyone in the fraternity to sort of pull together in the same direction and change mindsets when it comes to local football, I think it certainly is possible. Okay, so as you mentioned, concerted effort is needed, seismic shift is needed, but things have not changed for 20, 30 years. What really needs to be done? I think one thing that could fix a lot of the issues, or rather address a lot of the issues, is a complete and wholehearted rebranding of the S-League, the local domestic league. And I don't mean, you know, like what we did uh, a couple of years ago, which is basically you slap a new logo, you call it by a different name, but basically everything is the same. What we need is... It's easy to say, but what we need ideally is lots of money, uh, lots of corporate backers to support individual clubs. And we'll see things grow. We'll we'll see the football ecosystem grow. That's how Japan did it in the mid-90s. That's how Thailand have done it. The the thing is they have Changbia to sponsor like half their local professional teams. But yeah, we need corporate backers. And with a complete overhaul of the league and a complete new perception, that sort of puts the pressure and the onus on the teams and the players to lift their standards and to perform and to justify the support they're being given. And I think if they do that over a number of years, I think the perception of SPL and by extension local football will change for the better. I mean, I don't necessarily agree that throwing money at the SPL is the answer. To some extent, I think Desmond Ong raised that point in your piece as yep, well. Chairman, you know, yeah. I, I look at the product that is turning out and I think the fundamental thing that we need to fix is the players. And I think unless you fix the players, 
where fitness standards go up, discipline improves. Of course, the talent pool needs to be widened. I don't believe throwing money is necessarily the answer because I don't think it will necessarily fix these issues. Already, the S-League or the SPL in its former incarnation took up 25, 30 million a year. And that's a lot of money. And even then, that did not fix the problems in football. So what do you think of this? You know, the players themselves have to take responsibility. I think you certainly have a good point. But I think it's a bit of a chicken and egg issue, you know. It is true, the players have to hold themselves to better standards, to do better on and off the pitch. But they can turn around or they might turn around and say that what incentive is there for us? Which should not always be incentivized, I guess, to to, to want to do better. But they are looking at it and saying like, okay, I'm raising, I'm doing my own work, I'm jogging, I'm, I'm working hard, I'm watching what I eat. I spend money to eat better, to eat proper. And I get $300, you know, as a, a fringe player or something like that, a reserve player. And the payoff isn't there. And and in an ideal situation, every club would have the same financial clout and same ambition as our neighbours across the causeway, Johor Darul Takzim. They've built the proper facility. They have pumped in money into their academy. Their youngsters are doing very well in regional and international competitions. And you can see that their players have responded to that by being more professional. They come to games dressed up as a team, you know, in, in sometimes in suits when they travel overseas for the Asian Champions League, you know, that kind of thing. So, like I said, when you feel like a true football professional, you will act that way. And that's why I feel if the money is there to support all this, and I'm not saying, you know, just throw money and, you know, let the clubs handle it. Obviously, it has to be very structured, which is, again, boils down, I guess, to the outline or the blueprint, the plan that FAS is going to roll out in time. Do you think the club's officials are doing enough? Again, this was one of the things that when we spoke to coaches, uh, not only this week, but the previous week uh, where our colleague Lin Fung uh, and I worked on infrastructure or the systemic issues that need to be addressed. A lot mentioned about professionalism in the S-League in a sense, what goes on behind the scenes at the club, for example. And yeah, you know, sometimes you don't have the most competent officials and this is something that S-League winning coach Alex Weaver has also told us before in, in a previous report. So yeah, I mean, I think issues like proper administration, courses perhaps for football administration, you know, you could send club officials overseas, could be the prerogative of the FA to do it. All this will improve the local football ecosystem and I think, yeah, certainly it's something that they should look at. Okay, we'll turn to the other sport that has hit the headlines over the weekend and that was bowling. And we have a new world champion in Sharitan. Now, she follows in a long tradition of excellence from Singapore bowling. Mm -hmm. So tell us what she achieved and how significant is this? Well, first of all, I think it's a bit unfortunate for Singapore football that so many of our athletes in other sports are doing so well on the world stage. We just had Jamin reach the last eight of the World Badminton Championships and now we have Sheri here who won the gold at the World Bowling Women's Championship and she won gold in the Masters category. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it sort of puts everything to perspective and everybody's saying, why focus on football? We should pump money and our attention to all these other sports instead. Uh, having said that, you know, Sheri's achievement is wonderful and I think it's deserving for someone who has put in so much hard work over the years. You know, she's won SEA Games individual goal and her previous goals at the Asian Games are for the team and trios category. So it's nice to see her, you know, at 31, um, basically get one of the top prizes on the world stage. Yeah, and the thing with bowling is that the runway for a bowler's career is quite long. It's not one of the sports that is affected by age to a certain extent. Yeah. How confident are you that she can also do well uh, at the SEA Games? Um, I think it, she'll do well and partly down to the fact that there is such depth, especially in women's bowling in, in Singapore. There was 
another Singaporean, Bernice Lim, who also made the top 24 and qualified for the Masters competition. She was knocked out by the eventual finalist who Sherry beat. And yeah, you know, there are a lot of other talented bowlers as well. Shayna, who has consistently done well, Shayna Ng, uh, in the last few years. Jezreel made the cut but didn't travel because SBF wanted to give one uh, young bowler a chance. So there's a lot of competition, there's a lot of experience, there's a lot of quality. And I think this can only drive someone like Sherry to do better. Now, if you like what you're hearing so far, do subscribe to our series, A Game of Two Halves on Apple or Google Podcasts, or even on Spotify. Like us and give us a rating. Now, turning to Nicole, you covered the cycling AGM on Friday where Dr. Hing Seong Chen has, uh, was re-elected and he has continued to come up with some ideas to give the sport a boost. So can you tell us briefly what these plans are? Okay, so he has come up with a slew of goals that he has planned for over the next five years. His top two priorities are to develop the SEF Academy at Centaur's Turf City and also to start a professional road riding team with the aim of challenging for a medal at the 2026 Asian Games. So his other goals are a BMX SEA Games medal in 2021 that will be Singapore's first SEA Games medal in the discipline as well as you know finding a mountain bike head coach to beef up the program. Okay, now we talked about football's goal 2034 being quite ambitious. Of course, some people were, in fact, rather sceptical about it. But tell me, what do you think of the SCF plan? Is this too ambitious or is this not ambitious enough? Uh, How realistic are Dr. Hing's targets? I think it is ambitious enough because from what I've seen of the plans, I mean, just touching on the professional road team, this wouldn't be Singapore's first time having a professional cycling team. You remember the OCBC Singapore Continental Cycling Team, which was sponsored by OCBC Bank in partnership with the SCF and Sport SG, which was launched in 2009. That disbanded in 2014. But this time, you know, the plans that have appeared for this upcoming professional team seem to be much clearer. So it's going to be different in terms of management and funding sources, for example. So, I mean, it will be managed by a team of paid staff, whereas in the past it was managed by just two individuals. And it will also be managed by a joint management committee, which will be co-chaired by Dr. Hing himself and SSI chief Tobuni. There will also be professional and technical guidance from a world professional team. And this is one key difference because there was no professional guidance in the past. And Dr. Hing says this is crucial because it ensures that they don't go in blind. Yeah, and as for funding sources, they're also seeking sponsors. So they're already in talks with sponsors now and... I've heard they are negotiating with a professional team to come on board and serve as advisors, although he didn't want to reveal too much at that point. So in terms of funding, you know, he says there will be multiple cash and in-kind sponsors, whereas in the past it was just OCBC and Sport Singapore. So I mean, there are very clear outlines as to how this will go about being organised and everything. So he described it as a progressive six-year programme before the team can compete in Asia at the UCI Continental Races and there will be annual KPIs with accompanying budgets. So I think with a clear outline like that, it gives the Federation a direction of where they want to be headed and how they want to proceed and the steps that they want to take. So to me, this seems like a realistic and achievable target. Okay, but do they have enough cyclists to turn professional? Well, they just launched their National Road Development Program in June. So that's part of their youth development push and they already have 15 junior cyclists That is promising because these 15 cyclists who are aged 13 to 18 in, say, six years, they are going to be the ones out there at the forefront, like, challenging for a spot in this team. Sas, do you wonder, with cycling managing to get, like, 15 youngsters who are probably looking to turn pro as well, what do you think they're doing right that FAS is perhaps not quite tapping into? 
I think two reasons. First of all, there isn't already this this ingrained mindset that you know a path in professional cycling is bad, you know, or, or is not lucrative or it's not enticing. There's a bit of a lure of the unknown in a way. And like Nicole mentioned, you know, the fact that the NSA has set up such clear outlines and targets and goals and how it plans to achieve them, it's sort of impressive, you know, you know, not just the young athletes, but also maybe their parents would otherwise need convincing. Like, for example, in football, there's a lot of anecdotes of, or, or you hear a lot of times, players smoking, not looking after themselves well, and ending their career short or against their will. Sometimes players don't get paid salaries, not even down to the players. It's the management, the clubs, the administration. So going back to what we were discussing earlier, I mean, if, you, if football wants to encourage uh, another generation to take up the sport professionally, they have to sort all these issues out before they can do so. Okay, Nicole, the other thing that's been going on for the last week or so, and that has thrown up some interesting chatter, is the US Open. Now, Novak Djokovic retired today with an injured shoulder, but he was booed by the crowd. And then we had some tremendous reactions with Naomi Osaka and Coco Golf hugging after their game in a what I would probably term a great act of sportsmanship. It was, yeah. Yeah, so can you tell us more about that? I think Naomi Osaka explained it pretty well in her press conference, you know, in saying that she saw that Coco Golf was tearing and she didn't want Coco Golf to leave with her head down. She wanted her to be aware of all the people who came out to support her. And I think in a way she was probably reminded of her younger self. I mean, she's not that old, she's 21, but... You know, Coco is only 15. So in a way, I think Osaka was probably reminded of how she was at that age and to suffer a loss like that. And she did not want Coco Golf to feel disheartened or down because reaching the third round of the US Open is an achievement, especially at age 15. Right. And uh, were you shocked by what happened with uh, Novak Djokovic? I wouldn't say I was shocked, but I was a little bit surprised that the crowd was booing him because I don't think it would have happened to another player like Roger Federer or Rafael Nadal. I think generally, you know, tennis audiences don't like Djokovic as much as Roger and Rafa. But to boo Djokovic for retiring because he was injured, it's not like he wasn't putting in effort, you know. I I watched the match, he was trying and it was an injury that he had been suffering even during his earlier rounds and he did say in his post-match conferences that he would see how the injury went and he was trying today. So I think it wasn't nice of them to boo him because he was trying. Is this partisan crowd, like, you know, bias, booing or, or cheering, is this mostly found at US Open or in the US Open or is it the same at other grandstands? Because the Russian player Medvedev has also had issues and I think, you know, I'm a fan of pro wrestling or I used to be a fan of pro wrestling and I thought it was a very pro wrestling post-game promo where he was saying, you know, I was struggling with this and that but, you know, your jeers pushed me throughout the game to the end and to the win. And, you know, the crowd even jeered even more. You know, in wrestling, they call it a heel turn. You know, is this kind of reaction usually only found in the US? Or? I don't think it's a US-specific kind of crowd reaction but in the case of Medvedev the first match where he pointed the middle finger I think the crowd was really angry and that's why they booed him I, I think their boos were really rooting for him to lose which of course he didn't and he said that the jeers helped him but mm-hmm. in his next match you know when he said again that you know thank you your boos helped yeah. me win I think they continued jeering but as a way it's to like, troll him to yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in a good natured way maybe like you like us booing so here's some more for yeah. you yeah, like I said it's uh, effective heel work you know wrestlers would applaud that okay and your hero Nadal uh, Hero is an understatement by the way <laughs> <laughs> You know what they like to say in football The ball is round And he's a decent footballer also so, yeah. yeah well he's played the entire tournament so far Without dropping a set and without dropping serve So he looks good but I don't want to jinx him So <laughs> let's just leave it at that And on that note That's the final whistle bringing to a close a game of two halves Thank you for listening to us 
That was an SBH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times and The Business Times online.